Welcome to Courage in Healthcare, a podcast sponsored by Maxworth Consulting Group. I'm your host, Kyle Worthy. This week, we speak to Dr. Grace Terrell. Dr. Terrell is a highly regarded internal medicine physician from High Point, North Carolina. In addition to practicing medicine, she's also served as CEO of Envision Genomics in Chess, a population health management company. Today, she is CEO of Aventus Whole Health, a pioneering team of healthcare professionals who provide comprehensive, whole person care to patients in skilled nursing facilities, assistant living facilities, and senior independent living facilities. In 1995, Dr. Terrell founded Cornerstone Healthcare with seven other physicians. Cornerstone was one of the first organizations in the country to adopt the value-based care model, lowering the cost and improving the quality of care for their sickest, most vulnerable patients. Since her time at Cornerstone, Dr. Terrell has been a thought leader in the value-based care movement. Her latest book, Value-Based Healthcare and Payment Models, including frontline strategies for 20 clinical specialties, provides practical, no-nonsense advice on how to transition to value-based care. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Terrell about her experience at the forefront of this movement, what it takes to successfully transition to a new care model, and what the future holds for value-based care. Well, Dr. Terrell, thank you for talking with us today. Um, well, first, what was, how did you first get introduced to the concept of the accountable care organization and value-based care? So um, at the time, I was the chief executive officer of a multi-specialty group in North Carolina called Cornerstone Healthcare. And we were starting to do the types of things that are now called accountable care organization before the term had the term had been really mm-hmm. essentially invented. So as early as 2003, um, well, we had gone on a system-wide electronic medical record. Uh, by 2007, we were the first uh, patient-centered medical home level three NCQA in um, North Carolina. And we had created a, um, a form of uh, care in some buildings we built where they were open seven days a week and we were looking at lowering the cost of care, getting them out of high-cost centers. So in 2008 to 2010, we started uh, really putting together what we thought would be our plans on going forward. And um, a lot of what we are now calling accountable care organizations was really behind some of the thoughts that we had. Mm-hmm. I ran into um, someone named Tom Main. He was with the Oliver Wyman um, Consulting Group, um, and he and I were having some very intense conversations. He was the one who uh, wrote around 2011 or 12 a quiet revolution in healthcare mm-hmm. in the Atlantic Monthly mm-hmm. uh, with another guy, Adrian Slavalski, that's um, uh, just a great thinker. So they were really some of the pioneers in the thinking behind accountable care. Mm-hmm. So the terminology accountable care really was starting to come into uh, existence about 2010 or 11. Mm-hmm. And um, we latched on to it because a lot of what we were already working on um, really was that. We just didn't know what to call it at the time. <laughs> well, what stuck out to you most about the concept, both from an organizational perspective and maybe also a, a clinical one? The concept of being able to provide better care at a lower cost um, and there being ways of doing that um, seemed very patient-centered to us. So we had 
um, taken on as our mission, vision, values, the concept that Cornerstone uh, mission was to be your medical home. And our, our values ended up being the ones that came out of the crossing the quality chasm of the six aims in healthcare, which are efficiency and efficacy and patient-centered and all of that. So we were thinking of those terms, uh, did not believe that the traditional fee-for-service uh, payment system per se and just sort of where we were in healthcare was the best way of going. We thought that all the talk that you've heard for 30 years that 30% of the cost can come out of healthcare was true, but it was going to require some redesign of how we did things. So we were really excited about the concept of designing care that was patient-centered, that was higher quality and lower cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? Right. You just have to actually do it. So, Dr. Terrell, how did the new model impact the cost of care and clinical results at Cornerstone? We really focused um, on redesigning the models of care. Uh, We felt like that we were a a group that our sweet spot was not behaving or acting like an insurance company or a hospital, but a medical group with really excellent physicians. So we focused on what are now called new care models. Um, That term was also not quite used in the same way back then. And, and did some really pretty innovative things. So, for example, in our, we discovered that the number one reason for uh, patients with severe heart failure to be admitted to the hospital is not heart failure, it's depression. So we embedded uh, behavioral therapy type of services within a special heart failure clinic. We had uh, one clinic that was focused on patients that were uh, both uh, dually eligible for Medicare and Medicaid because they tend to be poor and disabled, and most clinics are not particularly well designed to take care of them. We had another clinic that was specially designed for people with uh, five or more stable chronic diseases, and another one for the frail elderly, and another one for COPD patients. So we really focused on patient care and how could we redesign it differently. And we um, then simultaneously were focused on getting some of these new what are called value-based contracts that were rewarding you for these types of changes. So we were doing those types of things uh, simultaneously have uh, published results um, showing that we were able to lower the cost of care in these really severely sick populations by up to 20% uh, within 13 months. So I think that we did it right by focusing on what we knew, which was patient care. Mm -hmm. And I read um, in an article or an interview that you previously have done that um, this redesign really energized your physicians. So what, what do you think that is? So, so much of the fee-for-service system in healthcare is gets to be just a real treadmill, or you know, for dogs, or they feel like they're on the hamster wheel, and that you've got to see more and more patients um, in shorter and shorter period of time. And just like that's a dissatisfier for patients, it's also a dissatisfier for care providers. Mm-hmm. So, the idea of actually redesigning care around. Um, really thinking about if we could just start from scratch, how would we want to do it if we had the resources to do it, was very, very energizing for physicians. Um, And we had all sorts of specialists um, and primary care physicians across our organization involved in different aspects of that. So how did this uh, affect your own outlook on practicing medicine? Because you're still practicing medicine today. I do. Um, it, it energized me like it did everybody else. Um, 
I um, really believe that the concepts of patient-centeredness um, are important. And much of what I've always tried to do in my own uh, patient uh, care through the years is really focus on, uh, in really holistic ways on what a patient needs. Mm. So to be able to be part of a process where we were really thinking very deeply about how do you actually embed process into the care delivery models that you can start really having some innovative ways of addressing that was just just unbelievably fun. And then to see the results and hear the patient stories was mm. just um, incredible, mm. you know, over time. Well, the meaningful impact that value-based care can have on patients is often overlooked in these discussions surrounding the topic. Um, can you give us an example of how Cornerstone's model maybe directly impacted the life of a particular patient? Sure, I'll be happy to. And this is a more recent example. Okay. Um, that uh, So many of the models of care that Cornerstone uh, innovated back between, say, 2000 and 11 to 2016 are now part of the Wake Forest Baptist Health System. Okay. So there's a there's a transitional care clinic there that is basically focused on patients that are very um, frequent admi uh, admissions to the local hospital. So uh, there was a patient who came into that clinic who had been um, in the hospital like something like a dozen times mm -hmm. over the course of the last year. And um, they, they were having all sorts of medical problems causing that. But what that experience was for that patient, um, it, it was a woman. She was in her 60s. She had uh, multiple problems, including uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, some heart problems, diabetes, uh, as well as some kidney problems. And she was identified as somebody after one of these hospital admissions that might benefit from being part of this transitional care clinic before she went back to her usual primary care physician. So this was just in the last six months that uh, this patient was in the clinic seeing some of my partners. When I am back seeing patients, mm -hmm. I actually work in this clinic. So I am still in okay. some of these uh, care models. The patients that I see are not necessarily these that are sick, but essentially she, um, her first uh, hour and a half, that's how long the first office visit will be. Um, she saw a pharmacist, uh, doctor or pharmacist, who went through her medications. Then she saw uh, Dr. Orr, who is the um, internist who manages that clinic. There is a social worker involved. Mm -hmm. And the story was quite complex. So part of it was she was on some of the wrong medicines. Part of it was she was never taking those medicines because she couldn't afford them. And part of it was education about how she ought to take medicines. And then some of it was just some of the social stuff at home. So um, they have a very comprehensive way of sort of thinking holistically about what the patient needs. And over the course of just a very quick period of time, they were able to change her diabetic medicine regimen such that she could afford the medication, so her blood sugars came down. And then they were able to get her off some of the things that were probably making her heart failure worse. Mm -hmm. They were able to get some types of uh, financial um, help for, for her medications, but also some things to help her around the house. Mm -hmm. um, and um, essentially, the last I heard, she had not been back in the hospital in like <laughs> six months. Wow. So a lot of the f worry or a lot of the negative rhetoric about uh, accountable care is that somehow you're not doing uh, your 
preventing patients from having care. It's actually the opposite. Mm. I mean, what you basically are able to do is find patients that have really special, intense needs and put those resources on them. They end up having a lower total cost of care because they're getting better care. Mm. And so that's really what accountable care is about. It's about figuring out who really needs um, this intensive type of um, holistic approach and then um, solving it on a one-by-one -one basis. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it can be really amazing when you mm -hmm. see it. That's, that's terrific. Well, with all these success stories uh, from Cornerstone, uh, why do you think the economics of Cornerstone as an independent medical practice ultimately were unsustainable? So part of it was we were ahead of the curve. Right. So we, we really thought that the... Um, that the payers were going to come along faster with their um, contracts than they did. Mm -hmm. So there was uh, medical, um, you know, processes that we had to put in place that there is not an economic model for under fee-for-service. So, for example, the type of um, resources that are needed for the patient that I just talked about mm -hmm. are really intensive. Mm -hmm. and in a fee-for-service world, that's the opposite of what you would do. You want to see as many patients as possible, as efficiently as possible, with the least amount of resource, mm -hmm. as opposed to the most amount of resource. So we really sort of got ahead of our skis, quite frankly, uh, because disappointingly, the payers were slow. Now, that is no longer the case. Um, we spun off a company called Chess, which is still owned by uh, some of the former Cornerstone shareholders, as well as Wake Forest uh, Atrium, mm -hmm. the large health system here in uh, the North Carolina, and LabCorp, mm -hmm. and are managing many um, of these contracts now um, that are uh, from many payers, both in the Medicare Advantage as well as federal programs like NextGen as well as some commercial ones, and are doing it uh, well. But those initial investments that we had to make to do this, um, we were just really quite early. Um, and what was astonishing to us is that despite all the rhetoric that the payers had at the time that they wanted to move in this direction, they really were no uh, no faster with it than the traditional healthcare delivery system. Mm. So, uh, do you believe that those recently announced primary care initiatives uh, would help create these better financial conditions for this transition to value-based care? I think that um, I'm very hopeful about it. Um, the the uh, final regs and the, the just came out the last couple of weeks with some of the information about it. Um, but um, there is the possibility in primary care to really do many of the things that uh, we were doing and are continuing to do within um, the context of Wake Forest um, that are, are designed to lower the cost of care. Um, but um, much of it um, uh, will require uh, different ways of payment models. So the direct contracting primary care initiatives that, uh, that CMMI announced a couple of months ago um, can uh, really potentially allow a lot of that to occur. Now, there still has to be infrastructure investment, so it's not going to be somebody out in a rural practice, you know, somewhere uh, without any infrastructure now uh, being able to do this successfully. But there will be all sorts of entities that I believe are going to probably um, be uh, out there to, to help uh, primary care physicians who are interested in this. 
So do you think this recent trend of physician employment encourages or discourages your outlook on a value-based care? I think it depends on the organization that they're employed by. Mm -hmm. Um, So culture is, you know, is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if it's a large health system that is employing physicians as a referral base, with a fee-for-service mindset, that's not going to help at all. It may slow it down. But if it's a large health system that needs um, uh, thoughtful physicians to help redesign care to um, provide uh, you know, a population health-based focus, um, then it can really um, allow the possibility of the right types of resources to uh, be put together. So like any other type of change in healthcare, you're going to have laggards and you're going to have, um, you know, those that are the innovators and the 80% that's in the middle, I believe, will continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. And um, those that um, are putting together the right types of of um, sort of um, cultural values Mm -hmm. with good leaders that are um, getting everybody in the game that really uh, walk the walk um, in terms of what their mission, vision, values are, Um, I think that there's going to be opportunity. So since your time at Cornerstone, uh, rethinking uh, our approach to healthcare has become the focus of your career. So you've gone on to lead several innovative organizations pushing the boundaries of care delivery and payment models. So why do you think it's important to advocate for change in healthcare? Um, as professionals, mm-hmm. we should always be trying to put ourselves out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, uh, we're taking care of people that are sick. Um, and the, the better job we do, the less quote, business there ought to be for us. So that was something I was told as a joke back in medical school at Duke a long time ago. But um, there's something that really is should be core to every uh, healthcare um, worker's sort of uh, being, which is how can we do a better job um, than we were doing the day before? Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that's sort of where I, I come from. I, you know, had you asked me 30 years ago when I was first getting out of uh, medical school what that meant, it would have meant something very different than the way I think about it now um, because I didn't understand back then that you could take the way things are doing and just flip them upside down and redesign things um, in ways that can make a great deal of difference. So you mentioned some of the other organizations that I've been involved with. Um, you know, when, when I was at Envision Genomics, we were really looking at how poorly rare disease is treated um, typically uh, in our current healthcare delivery system, mm-hmm. and um, and we're working on some ways of actually redesigning that. I'm now the CEO of a company called Aventus Whole Health, and it's looking at the senior population uh, that is in long-term care, assisted living, some independent living, and how can we actually um, integrate behavioral therapy and primary care and other services into a a care model, again, that can actually uh, provide value. So I guess my point is is that there are many, many different... um, places that this type of thinking can be applied to healthcare. So that's what I'm really enjoying doing now. Yeah, that's great. So what excites you the most about your current organization? They have, um, we have such an opportunity to uh, use some of the new payment models and technologies to really, really rethink uh, how most seniors are um, provided care now when they're at their most vulnerable and sickest. 
and it's just um, green space. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of uh, opportunity out there. The population with the baby boomers aging, it's going to be an increasing number of people. And the current system is just not going to be a sustainable way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to be fun to be with some very committed people that I've met in the last uh, several weeks since I've been here at, you know, getting you know, our sleeves rolled up and really think about, okay, how are we going to just completely change um, the way, um, you know, most of the people that are older uh, get health care for mm. the better. And so, I mean, what fun, right? That's right. That's great. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me today. And we look forward to uh, seeing the great things uh, come out of your next venture and uh, talking to you later on down the road. All right. Thank you very thank much. You so I appreciate much. the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Courage in Healthcare. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Terrell. It certainly was a pleasure to have her on the show. We look forward to bringing you more courageous stories like the one you heard today in 2020. Until then, happy holidays, and we'll see you next year.